A reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it, to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's uh, pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these uh, words of Scripture, that we would know um, how we might be a community that inhabits them, that interacts with them, in ways that transform and change us. So would you meet us uh, this morning as we reflect together? We ask in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So during this season of Epiphany, we are thinking about the kinds of questions uh, that linger inside of our own minds and in the minds of our neighbors as we think about different things. Uh, last week, we asked the question, is it uh, even really possible to know God? And we looked at some of those, uh, some particularly how, how we find an answer in the person of Jesus that is very unique and very personal and tailored to the kinds of reality that human beings lived with. Uh, today, we're, the question is just simply this. 
How, how do you make sense of life, or why are we here? Not so much why are we here on a snowy morning when we might prefer to be in a cozy bed or in front of a fire, um, but why are we here as human beings in this earthly existence? What is it all about? Um, Andrew Del Bonco, a professor of humanities at Columbia, uh, wrote a book a number of years ago now that you've heard it, some iteration in City Church Life, I'm sure. I've referenced it before. It's called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. Um, he writes this. He says that human beings need to organize the inchoate sensations amid which we pass our days, pain, desire, pleasure, fear, into a story. And when that story goes somewhere, when it leads us through life, helps us navigate through the real life that we have toward the end, the terminus of death, we live with hope. And when that story fails us, when it doesn't lead in that direction, we feel more like we're adrift in an absurd kind of world. It's an interesting statement. The book is interesting itself as he looks at the history of the American dream and how those stories play out in our lives and in our culture more broadly. But the question for us this morning is just really simple, simply this, how are you organizing the inchoate sensations and experiences of your life? How are you thinking about your joys, your losses, your successes, your aspirations, your dreams, uh, the anxieties, the fears, and we just go on and on, the pain, the abuse. How are you thinking about and ordering all of the different and varied experiences that you have as a human being in life? How are you making sense of that? Uh, is it leading you toward, towards a place of hope? Are you sort of able to, you know, Monica was describing the, the drama of parenthood, right? We've, some of us have experienced the drama of parenthood. Stacy and I are sort of on the, the far end now adult part of that experience of parenthood. But how do you order, right, your experience with your kids, right? That's so varied, so dispersed, so different, uh, right, from time to time. How are you making sense of the life that you have? Uh, how are you ordering it? Now, the two texts that we've read this morning give us a point of entree for thinking about some of these things, right? On the one hand, we're looking at this text in Genesis 1 that describes God's creation of human beings. It's the first account of that, right? There are two uh, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, but this is the first, and it anchors human life really in a much larger story, the story that God is telling, the things that God is doing. And then we looked at the math, this Matthew text that sort of anchors our imagination or calls us at least to think about sort of the end of all time, like how will God look upon the humanity that we've lived with, the way we've expressed our humanity, right? Jesus is talking about some of that. We'll look at that in just a moment. So the first thing is this, God's story, Genesis 1, the creation account. Um, I always feel the need in a crowd like ours, in a, in a circumstance like ours, just to remind us that, you know, this is a, this is a poetic reflection uh, about the starting points of human life. And it's a story, it's a uh, that God gave Israel, right? So it's written long after these events that they're purporting to talk about happened. But it's a story that God gave Israel to help them understand 
who they were as human beings, as persons now called out by God, right? Who are you? Uh, and so that's really what's going on. This is not a, a, a point of sort of the debate between science and faith. This is not a place to sort of enter that debate, really, because that's not what this, is, this text is about or really even interested in. It's really interested in how do you understand your humanity? <laughs> who are you? What does it mean to be you? Who are we? God gave Israel these starting ways of thinking about uh, themselves, and it's loaded with symbolic structure that situates their varied experiences of their own humanity inside of a life with God, inside of a relationship to God. Now, some of you know that uh, every week, most weeks, when the staff meet together, we take these texts and we read them together, right? We, uh, and so the question we sort of throw out to the staff, whoever's preaching, is like, hey, what are the questions that come up for you in this? What do you observe in this particular text? Because we want to hear from each other. We want a more, a broader understanding, and we want to engage this work together. And so I think this week when we were meeting together, it was, um, it was Liz Vobrel who, who said, well, I'm observing that, you know, God's doing a lot of talking in this text, right? God is speaking. And uh, not only is God speaking, but God is doing giving, right? He's giving uh, of himself. And particularly, he's supporting all that he's created, right, with a habitat in which that creation might exist. And he's supplying the needs, right, the food that is needed uh, for every living creature. Creation, it's an interesting account. Theologian Robert Jensen uh, says that when you read, begin to read through the stories of Israel and scripture of the Old Testament, that you realize that uh, Israel's God is always talking. He is always striking up a conversation. He's a chatty God. Um, and he's a God that's eager to connect with his people that he's called out. He's eager for relationship. He's eager for communication. And you get that as you read through the story of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, he isn't a God who's far off and distant and remote, but a God who enters the history of the world, who sort of engages in a very present way the history of the world, our history. We talked about that a little bit last week, as I said earlier, as we think particularly about how that story culminates and reaches a fullness in the person of who Jesus is. But here we are in this moment of creation. And one of the things that you can take away from this text as you read it is that all of the creatures, like, um, they're not they're not, um, they're not alike, uh, right? great and small, they're not alike. There's, there's differentiation that happens among the creatures, and particularly with humankind. Male and female, he created them. They possess, you and I possess, this unique identity and resource of being attached to heaven, to God himself, in a unique way that's distinct from all of the other animal life that we might encounter in our world. We're created in his image, we see. It's a likeness that bestows upon us a kind of greatness that also comes with great responsibility, right? God situates inside of this very brief account human beings at the very core of all activity, of all action that's unfolding in this history, right? This is the beginning of scripture. This is the opening text of scripture. And God situates his likeness in a garden to now build out, create, make history. Build out the world. Words like have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth. In other words, 
what we learn about ourselves in this action of likeness with God as he speaks to us, as he engages us, is that you and I have agency. We're given a kind of power over all things in the earth to build it out, to create. We have relative power and greatness within the story that God has brought into existence simply because he wanted to do so. That's what we are. Jensen says that one of the, he would describe human beings, the likeness of God, that we are praying animals. It's an interesting definition, an interesting way to think about human identity. We're praying animals because you alone, of all of the created things in the earth, have this unique capacity to interact with God, to commune with him, to speak to him, to listen to him, to interact with him. Now look, when you think about the words dominion, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, we recognize pretty quickly the moment we begin to label those things or take those words to our lips that we actually have a pretty bad history with those words, right? Because our experiences as human beings in the earth is that words like dominion and subdue begin to be distorted by what? By human selfishness, by an abuse of power. And many of us have experienced some of those abuses. We've, we're firsthand sort of close up to the, to the pain that's in the world because human beings that have agency use it poorly. They don't use it to create, but rather violently to suppress or to harm or to take. The story here in this particular moment, it's important, I think, to remember is hearkening back and recalling a moment in creation when that distortion of power does not exist. It's a moment when the aspiration, right, of, for the likeness of God in the face of the earth, for the humans that would carry the likeness of God in the face of the earth, that we would actually carry the story out differently, that we would carry it out in the likeness of God and not the brokenness that you and I have now experienced it in the world, that we would express our agency as gift because we're recipients of the gift of God himself, of his interaction with us. Like God, we're meant to become people that strike up conversations within the created world. We speak, we give, we speak to God. We're the praying animals. We speak to one another. We speak uh, to all of the aspects of our vocational lives and world. We engage in activities of building institutions, of politics, of creating nations, of building out families. And the question there is in all of these spaces of human interactions, how do you represent God there? So when you're at home, you're with a spouse or you're with a roommate or you're with a friend at coffee, how do you express the likeness of God in that relationship. You're at work tomorrow and you're interacting with colleagues and you're collaboratively working perhaps on some project. How do you express the likeness of God in that space? You're, um, you're a physician and you're in, this, you're in a surgical situation and you're, how do you express as you demonstrate and, you, and utilize your skills as a surgeon in that context as the likeness of God? How do you bear his likeness into the world. Robert Farrar Capon um, was an Episcopal priest. I think he served parishes out in Long Island area and in parts of Connecticut. Uh, he was also a theologian and taught seminarians and different ones, but and wrote prolifically. Um, 
And on top of that, I think he was like a food commentator for the New York Times for a while. But, you know, this really dispersed, right, experience of the world. But he says this as he reflects upon these opening chapters of Genesis. He says very simply this, that God made human beings to live in a priestly way with one another. And he used this word, this priestly word, oblation, which means offering. He said, we are an oblation one to another. What does he mean by that? He means simply that every instance of human interaction that you have, your life is an offering mutually one to the other. So that with every human exchange that we encounter, the point isn't that we take or that we're worried about what we get, but we are the giver. In other words, you're always in a situation with another human human being as one who gives, as one who lifts up, as one who celebrates, as one who exalts in a sense. and, And that doesn't mean that you're always just saying happy things. It might mean that you say some very hard things in those relationships, but the The emphasis is that your interaction in every space of human life is this mutual offering of oneself in every human exchange. Um, Think about it this way. There are things that I uh, cannot, really, or I could, that I should not say about myself, right? There are things that I should not, in my interactions in the world, always be going around obsessed about, right? Uh, You know, I'm worried about my identity. I want to make sure you know my greatness, and I have this skill. I I really think I do X, Y, or Z well, and it's really important to me when I walk into a room that everyone in the room says, that's Tuck. You know, Tuck is a really smart guy. I don't walk into the room saying, hey, I'm a really smart guy, because the moment I would do that, what would you do? You'd be thinking, who else can I go talk to, because this dude's weird, Narcissism, right? It's, just, it's sort of, we're always sort of living this self-referential life, right? Because identity is such not a given in our world. It's, it's fragile. It's, and the temptation is that we become focused on what we need to get out of an exchange rather than what we have to offer. And you know that experience in your own relationships. And you've experienced the brokenness of that in your own relationships. You've Experience the pain of that in your own relationships. But here's the thing. There are things that you and I need from one another that we cannot give ourselves. Capon says, the beholding, the loving, the adoring of my own being is somebody else's business, not mine. The challenge is that we live in a world in which that mutuality has fallen apart. God strikes up a conversation with us. Persons created to be like him, to interact with him. It's of his own volition. It's of no particular necessity at all. He's offering himself up in this act of creation, creating a world, creating a history, creating human beings that was not necessary, but creating us in his likeness simply because He delighted to do so. God delights in you. He loves you. And he looks on that moment of created history and he says, this is really, really good. And he rests. It's a beautiful part of the story. The rest of it gets very complicated, but it's so very beautiful to think that God delights in that which he's made and particularly 
in his likeness in the face of the earth, male and female, he created them. Humankind. We don't live this kind of life well. We don't give well. We know the brokenness of our own human experience. Um, The world that human beings have created is more in our likeness and shaped by our fear, our anxiety, our mistrust, our hate, our selfishness, and so on. Vulnerability like this in our relationships can sometimes feel like it will kill you. It feels dangerous. It feels risky, a risk that we don't want to take. More about that next week. But for now, here we are in this space. Why are you here? To be an oblation, an offering. That's the vocation beneath every other human vocation you possess. Your life as a son or a daughter, a mother, a father, a sister, a friend, a lawyer, a doctor, and so on. Friends across every human endeavor. Our lives within each of these interactions is meant and designed to be an oblation, an offering. God's story, he lifts up our story. That's the story of creation. Now, secondly and quickly, what about our story? So these words of Jesus are challenging words, right? They're they're beautiful words, but very surprising words in some ways. And they're certainly a surprise to those who will hear those words, right? These are words that Jesus gives us in Matthew's gospel where he's talking about the end of time, right? He's talking about a moment when God's kingdom has fully come, when he's returned, the Son of Man has returned, and he set up his kingdom on earth. Now, just real quickly, right, the kingdom of God is what? It's a world that is put right in every imaginable and conceivable way such that life everywhere flourishes, That's the kingdom of God, and it flourishes beneath a relationship with God, right? God is the king, right? God is the one who's ruling, but living and rule in such a way that is what? That is gift, that is lifting up, right? That's the world that's put right. That's the world that that Jesus is imagining here as he sort of anticipates the end of all things, right? This world of goodness and justice and truth and peace that will go on and on and on forever. And the interesting thing, uh, one of the interesting things about this is that human beings are still a part of the story, You're still there. We're still there. We're still in the story. But notice the kind of human beings that are included or brought into the world of that peace, right? Verse 35, I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me something to drink, stranger and you welcomed me, naked and you clothed me, sick and you took care of me, in prison and you came to see me. Interesting. It's such a contradiction with the kinds of things that we value in our world, right? (laughs) We don't anticipate being rewarded for love. We, as again, as we were talking about this as staff, it's like, no, the, the, the mantra, right, of our world and our culture is what? Wow, I crushed it, or he's crushing it, right? In other words, you're dominating, you're succeeding, you're, you're jumping, you're, you're, you're at the head of the pack, you're climbing up the food chain, you know, that's the rule of life in this world. But what Jesus says he will honor at the end of time, that the, 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 you know, the kind of person that he will bring into existence forever is someone who loves greatly. Mother Teresa says not everyone will do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Her life is a demonstration of the very kinds of things that Jesus is describing here. Loving across the spaces of her life. 
Interestingly, in this particular text, the righteous people that are included, that are brought in and welcomed into the space of God's kingdom, they have no idea or sense that they live this way. I love the way Lynn sort of read that text, right? But Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we clothe you? When did we feed you? Because these are persons who walked through life with a godly self-forgetfulness. And they just loved the way Jesus loves. And they're not self-referential in that love. In other words, immediately we know these aren't people that are saying, you know, what God wants is for me to love this way. And the way to please God, the way to get God's love back is to love this way, right? This is not what's going on in their heads, but rather what's going in their heads is I am loved. I'm a recipient of the love of God, and therefore I love the way he has loved me. Jesus' response is, just as you did it to one of the least of these who were members of my family, you did it for me. What does that tell you about the way Jesus relates to your story, to your suffering, to the places in your life where you have need of some sort, where you look at your story and you think, I don't know how to organize the things that are happening to me. I don't know how to make sense of my life as a parent or my life of wanting to be a parent or my life as a married person or wanting to be married or my life as I suffer in the world in some way, right? I, I don't know how to make sense of my life. What does this tell you about Jesus when he hears you say that? I think it tells us that our story in all of its different particularities is on his mind and on his heart. He loves you. He delights in you. And here what Jesus is calling to mind is he's asking us on the front end, before judgment ever happens, he's asking us to think about what it might mean to become a person that is loved by God in the story of who Jesus is, of what Jesus reveals to us about a God who loves us so that we might be changed in the way that we interact with one another. In other words, salvation is about the unraveling of suffering, not the continuance of suffering. And human beings are still a part of the story here at the very end, but it's human beings that are beginning to leverage themselves, what? As an oblation toward another. So with every exchange, we're reconnecting with this human vocation in the likeness of God, in the likeness of who Jesus is. Through our life with Jesus, we express having dominion and subduing and filling the earth. And it's not self-referential or oriented. It's not selfishly grasping or in any other way, but rather it is a life given because it is a life that has received. That's the picture of what Jesus is calling us to. So that as his disciples then and as those early readers of the New Testament and the church of the, of the day in which you know, Matthew is originally writing this story of Jesus' life, so that when they would hear it and then so every generation that would just keep coming back, right, to the story of who Jesus is, that they would understand that Jesus is one who has entered the world, our world, 
a world of suffering, a world of inequality, a world in which power is abused, a world in which human beings don't steward their dominion, their agency well, and he would live in that space, and yes, it would feel like it would kill him, and yes, it would kill him, but God raises him up. And he gives him the name that is above every name, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And that is the name that we will bow towards. Because that is the human vocation that God celebrates. And that he will elevate for all time. Why are you here? To be an oblation. Because Jesus Christ lived toward you as an oblation offering himself up to you in your behalf that we might reconnect with God, with ourselves, with our calling, with our purpose as human beings in the world. May God give us grace to receive love like that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on our stories and our lives and we see the places where we express our humanity in profoundly broken ways, <clears throat> that you would call us back again and again to the story of who Jesus is, that we would be recipients of his love and oblation, that we might live in his love and the pattern of his love all the days of our life. So meet us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the offering's a time when we... Uh, Think on God's grace in our lives. We offer our hearts and our gifts to him. Let's do that now.